0: Please stand for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks be to God, indeed. Thank you to Carol Bumbleau for reading our lesson this morning, and especially to those beautiful children Who reminded us of the presence of God. Uh, What a wonderful time of worship it has already been to be with you. We're thankful to Mason, uh, to Casey, to all of our musicians, and especially we're grateful to God who has prepared this time for us today. And for you who are tuning in, I can't tell you how thankful we are to be in your homes today and to share the good news of God's love in Christ with each of you. It's hard to believe that we have actually come to the conclusion of this series that we've been calling the last six weeks powerful we've been looking at different scenes in the life of jesus where he took authority to act on behalf of others who were in need now i'm sure that all of you remember six weeks ago the first message how we noted the people's response to the teaching of Jesus early in Mark's gospel chapter one. They said of Jesus, he teaches as one who has authority and not as the scribes or the religious professionals. And we talked about in that first message and all the way through this series that the word for authority in the Greek language is exousia, which literally means the power to act. And We still believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit that is Christ in us, Christ working through us to empower us on behalf of Christ to act according to the needs of others in ways that bring definitive healing, that bring restoration, that bring salvation and reconciliation. But the text this morning is another one of those healing stories. And what you may know about this story is you only find it in Luke's gospel. It is peculiar to the third gospel. In fact, it's a part of a section that you only find in the gospel of Luke that we call the travel narrative. It stretches from Luke chapter 9 through 19, and it begins in chapter 9, verse 51, with this Line. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face, one text says, he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you, this is not a geographical statement. It's a mission statement. In fact, I've italicized those words, taken up. To be taken up points to the passion of Christ. And so, as early as Luke chapter 9, the destiny of Jesus is clear. He is bound to go to Jerusalem, which Jerusalem is code for suffering, for death, for resurrection. And there's no turning back as early as chapter 9. So, the whole section, chapters 9 through 19, is depicted by Luke as a journey to that purpose, to that end which is sacrificial love. And so with that in mind, our text today, Luke 17, verse 11, begins in the travel narrative. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, the quickest route to Jerusalem from Galilee was, of course, straight through Samaria. But it was not uncommon for Jews in the first century to actually veer east into Perea so as to avoid at all costs setting foot on Samarian soil. And for good reason, I would add. There was friction in Samaria. There was hostility between Jews and Samaritans. In fact, you see it in Luke 9 verse 54 which says, when Jesus set out for Jerusalem, he crossed over into Samaria, but was denied access by the Samaritans. And you remember the disciples' response. It's somewhat humorous. They said, Lord, do you want us at this time to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? And of course, Jesus shook his head and rebuked them. I have not come to destroy, he said, I have come to save and here in chapter 17 again Jesus is straddling the border between Samaria and Galilee that word in the gospel between is also missional in other words Jesus refuses to circumvent Samaria he refuses to bypass that place of hostility they need the gospel too And what you see in the life of Jesus in Luke is that Jesus over and over and over and over again is in between. He's in between Jew and Gentile. He's in between publicans and Pharisees. He's in between pure and impure. He's in between the clean and unclean, the saint and the sinner. Jesus is never afraid to get between a rock and a hard place, He lived in between, and he died in between two thieves, one repentant, the other unrepentant. When we lived in Atlanta on the east side in Lawrenceville, we were there for 12 years. There's a little town not far from Lawrenceville where we lived called Between. Can you believe there's actually a Between Georgia. There is, population 373. There's a little Methodist church there on the edge of between, and it's called the church in between. It's not an easy place to be, but whenever I would see that church, I'd be reminded of my own mission, of our mission as a church, that we're actually called to live in love in the church in between now you see this in John chapter 4 also where Jesus crossed the line crossed the border and asked a Samaritan woman for a drink you remember this story it happened in Sychar at Jacob's well he asked her for a drink at the well she had come at noon she was an outsider an outcast and then of course Jesus gives her living water But the prelude to that encounter says in John 4, verse 4, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. That's not a geographical statement. It's a theological statement. It's missional. He had to go. There are some things we do because we choose to, because we want to, we desire to, but there's a lot that we do as disciples of Christ Because we just have to. Jesus was in between this ethnic friction between Galilee and Samaria. Jesus was never afraid to get in between the rivalry and the hostility, the antagonism. And he drew this Samaritan woman to himself. It's just like Jesus. And here again in this story, Luke 17, In the land of (laughs) in-between, he meets a band of lepers. Well, that's, that's not exactly the way Luke says it. Luke doesn't call them lepers. He says they were men who had leprosy. That's a different statement. In other words, isn't it interesting that Luke will never define them by their infirmity He defines them by their humanity. That is so Luke, and that's so Jesus. What you notice in the text is that these guys are doing exactly what the law commands of them. They are social distancing. Perhaps this is the first episode of social distancing in the Bible. I doubt it. It happened in the Old Testament as well. And the law is very clear according to Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. The person who has leprosy shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his or her head be disheveled, unkempt, and they shall cover their upper lip and cry, unclean! And they shall live alone in a habitation outside the camp. In other words, they must self-quarantine We know about that, don't we? (laughs) And certainly we get it. It's infectious, it's contagious, it's a pandemic. And so in order to keep from infecting the whole village, of course, the law says physical distancing is absolutely necessary. But we know, especially in our situation, which is somewhat similar, that the worst part of the illness is not just the physical pain. It's the spiritual pain. It's the pain of isolation. It's the pain of living outside the camp. It is the pain of losing human touch. Our son, Andrew, who is a pastor in Roswell, Georgia, at a church that we once served there called Northbrook, United Methodist Church told me recently, Dad, I went to one of the assisted living homes. There was a woman who was up in her 90s. I went to see her. She talked to me for a few moments and she said to me, I came up through the depression. I experienced the poverty. I went through World War II. This is by far the most difficult experience that I've ever had in my life. Every meal that I'm served is in my own room by myself. That's the most painful. In verse 13, these who are distancing themselves from community cry out to Jesus. Boy, is that the right thing to do. (laughs) Jesus, notice, master, they say, have mercy on us. And what you may not know is there's a slight breach of the law at this point because they're not saying unclean, they're saying mercy, have mercy. And listen how they address Jesus. Jesus, master, they say. Now up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, the only people who ever call Jesus master are disciples. This is an implicit profession of faith. And Jesus' response is, is kind of odd. It's really strange. He says to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, there were only two occasions when a Jewish leper would go to the priest one, if he suspected he had been exposed, and twice, if he thought he had been healed. And they'd already been diagnosed. And so this could only mean one thing in their ears. He's going to cure us. Incidentally, there's something else going on here that you can't see at first. It's just beneath the surface of the text. That is, when Jesus says to them, go and show yourselves to the priest, he's actually treating these guys as though they're well Even when they're sick. And this is so Jesus. This is what he does. He treats them as clean, even when they're unclean, until they become clean. This is Jesus. He treats outsiders like insiders until they become insiders. He treats foreigners like friends, he treats sinners like saints. He takes strangers and makes us friends, family, until we become family. Go show yourselves to the priest. And sure enough, in their obedience, as they go according to the command of Jesus, they look down and the sores are gone. The spots are not there, they've been healed. And then comes the shocker in the story. Get ready for this. Verse 16. And then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Oh, no. (laughs) No, no, not that. Jesus, you sure know how to ruin a perfectly good story. Now, up to this point, you assume that all these guys are Jews, right? I mean, after all, Jesus said, go to the priest. And so if you're Jewish at this point and you've just heard this shocker, you're thinking, okay, I'm out of here. This is just wrong. It's sort of like what Jesus did in Luke chapter 10. He told a beautiful story about a compassionate, helpful neighbor who rescued a man who had been mugged in the wrong part of town on the Jericho Road. But the hero in the story is not a priest. It's not a lay leader. They ignored him. They saw him, but they didn't see him. But the hero in that story is a Samaritan he ruins a perfectly good story. A good Samaritan? That's an oxymoron to an Israelite. In fact, they might say there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. A heretical Samaritan? Yeah. An unorthodox Samaritan? Mm-hmm. A sacrilegious Samaritan? A dirty, rotten, scoundrel Samaritan? Yes. But not a good Samaritan. Samaritan? What was Jesus doing? He's crossing the line. <laughs> He's in between. He does it over and over again. He did it in his first sermon in the hometown synagogue at Nazareth where he preached from Isaiah and there was pen drop silence. He was getting a lot of amens, people taking notes until he told a story of a Jewish prophet in the Old Testament who fed a foreign widow and healed a Syrian soldier of leprosy. And all of a sudden, there were no more amens. In fact, they gave him a one-way ticket to Capernaum, tried to push him off a cliff, because you can't have that. The trouble with Jesus is, Jesus doesn't give grace to those who deserve it, Just to those who need it, and he paid dearly for it. Only one came back to say thanks, and he was a Samaritan. You know what's intriguing to me is that he was also the only one of the ten who was saved. The others were healed physically, yes, but this guy was made spiritually whole. You say, where do you get that, pastor? In Jesus' own words, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was nobody found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? And then Jesus turns to him and says, get up and go your way. Your faith is... Has saved you. Now I've tried to figure it out. What's the difference? The only difference between that one and the other nine is gratitude. He was grateful. How could he have been? Maybe the reason he was grateful after his healing was because he had learned to be grateful even when he was sick. I don't know if you've discovered this or not, but I have sometimes, sometimes, you find more gratitude in the sick bay than you do in the gym. And it reminds me of Paul's words in First Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. I think Brene Brown was right on target when she said what separates privilege from entitlement is gratitude. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. You know the book. You may not know Mr. Manning. Did you know that as he grew up as a young man, he entered the armed services, he became a Marine. He fought in the Korean War. And when he came home, he had an experience with Christ. He enrolled in seminary. He became a Franciscan priest. And he wrote this marvelous book. And one of the quotes that I remember him saying is this. Listen to this. I believe that the real difference in the church is not between conservatives and liberals or fundamentalists and charismatics, Catholics, Protestants, or or even Republicans and Democrats. The real difference in the church is between the aware and the unaware. When somebody is aware of that love, the same love that the Father has for Jesus, and that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life, and the byproduct of gratitude is just joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful, and that makes us joyful. I heard about a sign recently that says, Don't ever let an elephant or a donkey keep you from following the Lamb. He is our joy and our salvation. The Samaritan never made it to Jerusalem to the priest for two reasons. Number one is they wouldn't have let him in anyway, (laughs) he was a Samaritan. But secondly, he didn't go because he found a new priest at the feet of the one who loved him and healed him and saved him. And that rabbi became that Samaritan's high priest. And he is ours, he is the temple of God, he's our sanctuary. Last word. When I think of heroes, I I think of a man by the name of Dallas Willard. I think I have read everything that Dr. Willard has written. A philosophy teacher at the University of Southern Cal, a devout follower of Jesus, he died just a few years ago. He wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy that is one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life. I put it up there with Mere Christianity and Bonhoeffer's Discipleship and Others. What a book someone has written a biography about him called Becoming Dallas Willard. And in that book, the author describes his last moments. Listen to this. At 4.30 a.m., a nurse came in to turn Dallas in the bed. Her visit in the room awakened his best friend, Gary, who was in the room with Dallas, and Gary, now awake, knowing that death was near, took Dallas by the hand. Dallas turned to him and said, I want you to tell my family, my loved ones, how much I love them and how blessed I have been by them and how much I appreciate every one of them. And then said Gary, in a voice clearer than I had heard him speak in days. He leaned his head back on the pillow with his eyes closed and said, thank you. Said, Gary, I was aware that he wasn't talking to me but to another presence that we both sensed in the room and then he died. His last words, thank you. Spoken to his high priest who was right beside him. That's not a bad way to die. But what a wonderful way to live. Like a Samaritan leper, we too will find our hope, our healing, our salvation at the feet of Jesus. And when we rise up, We live and love and serve, and that becomes our way of saying, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.